welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. All right. Yes, ma'am. Cindy will help you. She uses one all the time. Okay. <laughs> Found it. Found it. They'll turn it down. And if you're too soft, they'll turn it up. Okay. Just hold it there. I had a few questions about healing. Um, my, my son's a chiropractor, and he learned at school that our bodies are like a survival machine. They are every minute of the day trying to survive, doing what they can. And it can uh, handle a certain amount of stresses, and then if you overstress it, that's when you open yourself to sickness and disease. So my question is, when I hear you guys saying, like, you go to a gas station or a restaurant and you lay hands on somebody and heal them. Well, how long do they stay healed? Because like, let's say they're living in sin, and I'm going to say, give an example of what I mean. Like, the Bible says, uh, don't be in fear. Cast your anxieties on him. Get rid of all your bitterness and hatred. If you're clinging on to all those, those are a whole bunch of stresses. So if you don't get rid of them, how long is that healing going to last? Like, to that restaurant the next day, is the guy still healed? Or is he sick again because he's hanging on to stuff? Each, each situation is as unique as the individual. There are, there are people, first of all, I'll remind you that 100% of the people that Jesus healed many of which likely kept their healing the rest of their lives. 100% of the folks that Jesus healed were sinners. They, none of them were Christians. Jesus didn't heal a single Christian. Nobody could be born again until after Jesus ascended. There was zero born-again people that Jesus healed. And so there, there are, uh, there's an infinite number of entwinings of the of these kind of principles that go into the the totality of the doctrine that we call around here uh, divine health so divine health is the simplistic definition of divine health is that because of the stripes of jesus two thousand years ago those stripes took sickness and disease for humanity just like his crucifixion took the sin and sin nature of humanity. But does that mean automatically everybody's healed? No, just like automatically not everybody's saved. You actually have to appropriate that promise by recognizing that he was crucified for you personally and you by faith receive that forgiveness that he purchased and then your sin and your sin nature can be dealt with. It's the same thing with healing. If you do not by faith appropriate what he took as stripes on his back, then you don't necessarily get that. Now there, there is 
because there's not a lot of people that understand the finished work of Christ as I'm related to it here in divine health. There are people that go from healing to healing where they believe that God is just going to heal them or they're going to get healed by doing some function or some activity. Now, we don't do that with salvation unless we're Baptists. You know, Baptists believe that you can, or Pentecostal, sorry, I picked on Baptists. I didn't mean to do that. So if you're a Baptist out there, I love you. I'm going to pick on the Pentecostals. Pentecostals believe that if you sin, you lose your salvation. So then you got to go and get re-saved. And then you go and sin again, and then you lose your salvation, and then you got to get re-saved. So it's save, law, save, law, save, law, save, laws. And a lot of people look at healing the same way. Well, I got healed, and then I lost it, and then I got healed, and then I lost it, and then I got healed, and I lost it. And can you live that way? Sure, absolutely. You can have whatever you believe. Be it unto you according to your faith. It doesn't have to be that way, but you can be that way. So there are times that we, by belief system, are going to put ourselves back into connection with the failures that bring in destruction in our physical bodies and our minds. So if a person is healed of fear, can they get back into fear? Absolutely. If a person is healed of diabetes, can they do stupid stuff and get back into diabetes? Absolutely. There, there's, there's no guarantee that you're going to hang on to anything that God gave you unless you do it by faith. Now, if a person gets healed of diabetes, let's say they're 100 pounds overweight and they got diabetes. And they come up and, and our altar team lays hands on them and they curse the diabetes and they do. They that diabetes has to do what it's been told to do in the name of Jesus. And so diabetes leaves that person. And then they go home and they're like, woohoo, I'm free of diabetes. Break out the hostess snacks and we're going to sit on the couch and, watch, and binge watch TV, eat Doritos and hostess because now I'm free of diabetes. You're not free of diabetes. They're still enslaved to diabetes, and they will bring the symptoms of what they're enslaved to back into their life. And so what you're, what you're talking about isn't necessarily a direct correlation. So let's say someone is, is living in sexual sin. They're, they're shacked up with their boyfriend or their girlfriend, and they get healed of uh, cancer. Well, there's not necessarily a direct correlation to living in fornication and cancer. So it's not the same thing as the example that I just used in diabetes. But, there, but you open yourself up by believing a person who lives in fornication does not believe that God has made them pure. Does not believe that God wants to give them a better life by being sexually pure. And so by that belief system, they can usher in things that the enemy is going to make them believe. And so they can, that can physically attach to their body and stress out their body and cause mental problems. And even medical science will tell you that about 80% of the physical ailments that go into people's lives start in some kind of an emotional, soulish, psych psychological place. You, you have to open up your soul in some way to allow these things to come and manifest in your life. That's why 3 John verse 2 that I say over you every Sunday that I'm here is that God wants you to prosper and he wants you to be in health. Your prosperity 
of life, which includes those seven areas that Pastor Bob just talked about this morning, those seven areas of prosperity, and you physically being healthy is going to be directly correlated to the prosperity of your soul. You will not have a devastated soul and be healthy in any other place. It is impossible. Impossible. That's why Jesus, Luke 4, 18 and 19, the very famous Nazareth sermon when, he's, when he came and said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me, where he quoted from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to liberate the captives, and uh, to bring, uh, to, set at, uh, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Three of those, thi of those five things that Jesus came to do by the power of the Spirit was to deal with your soul. Because he knows your soul is the portal for all things physical, for all things financial, for all things your relationship. You likely have a healthy marriage. If she's healthy in her soul and I'm healthy in my soul, we have a great, great marriage. If she's a mess, which has never happened. I'm, I was waiting for everybody to laugh. Ha, ha, ha. We all know you're the one. Okay. I, I know. I set you all up. You didn't even take the bait. If one of us is a mess, our intimacy level is only going to rise to that. And this, I, I minister this all the time to people who are in unbalanced relationships, like your responsibility is for you to be healthy. If, you're, if your spouse wants to be a raging loser, you can't fix anybody. You can't even fix you, let alone somebody else. And if they want to be jacked up, you are not going to be in unity. You're not going to have a healthy marriage. And you can, you can stomp around your house and pray in tongues and declare and use Jesus' name all you want, but you're not going to manipulate another person into being healthy. If you could, God would. Your responsibility is for you to have a healthy soul. You have a healthy soul. You're allowing the word of God to do in your life what he wants to do, the spirit of God to do in your life what he's going to do. I will guarantee you, you will be healthier. Can you lose it? Yep. Belief system is what attaches you to, the, to the, that aspect of prosperity, of, of physical prosperity. So the, the simple answer to your question is yes, people can lose it, but it's not normally likely because when they have a radical encounter with God, they tend to put their belief systems in that radical encounter and they'll maintain it in that area. With, can the enemy sneak in some other way? Yes. But most of the time when somebody has a radical, especially supernatural, momentary healing, most of the time they keep that because it was such a radical thing that it connects to their belief systems. Yeah, amen. I was just thinking about how uh, a lot of times in those encounters, they um, are pretty... They're infants, they're children. They don't, they don't understand necessarily the word of God, but they had the gospel preached to them. They had the love of God preached to them. And so they've opened up their hearts to receiving the good news of the gospel. And, then, and so they do receive very easily their healing uh, in a lot of different areas in people's lives. But then um, how we as, as mature Christians 
Sometimes we struggle because we have lost that childlike receiving. Because it is about receiving. Our healing is about receiving what Jesus is offering us and what he sacrificed for us to have. And how um, sometimes in our maturity we lose that childlike receiving yep. that we all came into the kingdom with. We all came into the kingdom saying, what? Jesus died for me. It doesn't matter my past. It doesn't matter what I did. He died for me. I, yes, I'll take it. I want that. I want relationship with God. I want this Jesus. And then, um, unfortunately, uh, we religion gets mixed into that. Yep. Wrong doctrine gets mixed into that, and it turned into performance-based. Yep. And so it becomes harder and harder for us sometimes to receive is because it's been mingled. That childlike innocence now has been mingled with performance. It has been uh, mingled with um, you have to be perfect in order to receive from God. And how important it is for us to be in a church and in a family who encourages us in that childlike receiving. That there's nothing that we can ever do to earn it. And that's why sometimes it's so easy to minister to the lost because we tell them that. You don't have to earn this. God wants to give this to you freely. And the longer and longer we come, we're in the kingdom for some reason, we get this lie told to us that you have to perform, that you have to do these things in order to obtain and receive. And so, you know, that's sometimes why it's so easy for them to receive when we're out ministering to people in this world because they don't have these lies brought to them. And so how important it is for us to remember that we are in a family that says freely has given, freely receive. That's our part. Our part is to freely receive. He's freely given. He's not holding anything back. It's us sometimes that, that limit our receiving. In John chapter 8, it says, He who spared not his own son, 32, He who spared not his own son, but freely gave him for us all, how shall not he also freely give us all things? That's just one of those statements, almost sarcastic statements in the scriptures. Like, look, God gave up Jesus. You, you think that he's not going to help you with your finances? <laughs> really? You think he's not going to help you with your health? You think he's not going to help you with your marriage? Whatever you got, if it's less than the price of Jesus, then obviously God's willing to help you with that. Okay, Cinderella. You already answered my question. That was fantastic. Two for one. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, Deb wasn't ready. Thank you. Be warmed and filled. I feel like I do a lot of fly-by prayers, if I could say it like that, like quick prayers, and um, that could be one of the reasons why I don't see results the way I want to see them. 
I need to be more present and focused for that person. It's the fervent, effectual prayer that avails much, as in James 5.16. Um, like you said last week, eyes to eyes, focusing like Jesus did for that woman. Like in that moment, he was all there. He got rid of all the surrounding stuff. Anyway, I believe my heart is right for that person in that short moment because sometimes I only get like a minute or two, like with a patient at work. So it's not like I have hours to spend with someone or to get involved in their life. But there's many times where I don't see immediate results. So what am I lacking? It seems like there's a connection to being present and purposeful like Jesus was but also, there's the heart connection. It's all a matter of the heart. So, I'm like, I feel like there's a missing link. Is, is the gist of your question that you want to have more success in ministering things? Yes, like what I'm praying, because... I feel like I can cut out the sound and everything for that 30 seconds, but it feels like that 30 seconds isn't enough. Like it isn't the fervent prayer. Yeah, sometimes we see, the, we see in the scriptures where Jesus just, it seems like just randomly roams up on folks and then wham, you know, this supernatural thing happened. But sometimes we don't consider all of the context. For example, I would say a good solid 95% of anybody that we know that got healed in the scripture were people that came to Jesus. And I, it is not the same in today's world. You know, you can, you can hear about the, the healing dude coming to town, doing the special meeting, and you can jump in your car filled with petroleum, fired up your combustion engine, fly on over there, get into a nice cushy soft chair, people bring you waters and breath mints and you just sit there and you wait for the healing minister to tell you about healing. It wasn't the same thing in that day. If, if you interrupted your life enough to go 20, 30 miles by foot to go find the, the hated rabbi that the whole Jewish community told you to stay away from. Some of, the reason that some, there, was, there was much more success in Jesus' ministry and healing than in 2023 American Christianity is because A, they wanted it more. B, they were willing to get, do more to get it. And C, they were way more pure. You've got thousands of reasons in your head why you can't be healed. They probably had about two. They're a sinner. They didn't know anything about science. This is pre-scientific era. They believed that they were sick because they were a sinner or God just wanted them to be sick. So guess how easy Jesus could solve either of those two. You're not going to solve the 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 deep-seated belief system in the guy that's got cancer, the same kind of cancer that his dad died from, his grandpa died from, his great-grandpa died from, and got it at the exact same age. 
They are so committed to the belief system that they got generational cancer that you can lay hands on them till you rub every hair off their head. And it ain't changing their belief system. We, we have been baptized, immersed, submerged, completely saturated with unbelief and lies. And a lot of it comes from our natural world. Mark chapter 6, verse 2 in the ESV. It says, on the Sabbath, he, Jesus, began to teach in the synagogue. In the synagogue. In the church. A lot of people want to make Jesus like he wasn't in the church. I hate that people want to twist the scriptures to make their own doctrines work. Jesus was in the church a lot. If you want to be like Jesus, you go to church a lot. Well, I want to be like Jesus, but I don't want to go to church. Well, then you don't want to be like Jesus. Amen. He began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter? Isn't he a regular dude? Is he not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? They know his whole family. And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. <laughs> Why were they offended at Jesus? Because he's human. I know you're waiting for me to fill in the more important blank in this statement. No, they were mad because he was human. Humans can't do this stuff. Now, if he was an angel and he floated down and, you know, and he glistened with the glory of God or something, they would have all been like, cool, God's doing something, right? Remember the people that were, sit that were at the, the pool of Bethesda? They were waiting for the pool to be stirred by the angel and then they could get in. You know what they had? They had faith in what they could see. Hey, the water moved. That's the angel from heaven. That means there's healing. Get in the water. You know what's going to be hard in a room like this? Steve's going to lay hands on me? Steve? He's got zits. Did you see his gray hair? You know how human he is? I've seen him fail at stuff. Well, if it was going to be God, like he would glow in the dark. Okay. Same thing with you. When you walk up on somebody, especially in, in 2023, you say, hey, Jesus wants to heal you. You just assaulted about 10,000 things in their head that tells you that you're a fool. Jesus, that dude from 2,000 years ago that all the weirdos believe in, okay, I'll take your healing there, buddy. He, they, they didn't have the same thing going on at that time. They had to deal with his humanity. That, that was the thing that stopped them. Verse 4, and Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. You know what Jesus said? 
the less people know you, the less people know how human you are, the more likely you are to have success in ministering to them. Why do I go in third world nations? Why do I go down into Africa? And it's like a 60, 70, 80 percentile reality that we get people immediately manifest really powerful healings. I've seen tumors. There was a guy one time that had a tumor on the side of his neck. The thing fell off. Fell off. That'll get in your brain. And you know how many people I know since we planted this church that have been a part of this church that have died of cancer? What's the difference? God hated sister so-and-so, but he loved the brother in Africa with the... Is, is God that way? He just like rolls the dice like, oh, sorry, you die. I mean, I... I love you, but you're dying. But this person over here, they're getting healed because the dice came up right for them. That's evil. It's evil. Our beliefs are what connect us or disconnect us from these things. And one of the things that Jesus is highlighting here is if you don't know some random dude, if some random healing minister flies in here, like the guy that sees everybody healed all over the world and they're doing a meeting in Lena... You know what you're going to show up with? Expectancy. You're not going to know that he had a fight with his wife the night before. You're not going to know he picks his nose and he actually farts too. Because he's the healing minister, right? He just floats in on a cloud and shows up and just dispenses healing like a Pez dispenser and then he's out. That's why it's very hard in a church, like under a pastoral setting, for people to get these kind of things. They're like, Steve, you know, Pastor Craig, like he's human. I need somebody non-human to come in. A prophet's not without honor except in his own household. And then check this out, verse 5. Now this was Jesus at his hometown, verse 5. And he could do no mighty work there. You know that's in the Bible? The Bible... The word of God said Jesus couldn't do stuff. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Some of you, this might be the first time you know that this is in the Bible. Jesus couldn't do stuff. There were people that Jesus could not make get healed. Why? They didn't accept him. They didn't accept the things that he was telling them. He didn't accept the gifts that he was bringing to them. They rejected it. In this case, they rejected it because he was human. And I know you're thinking, well, duh. I mean, he had to be human. We know that now, 2,000 years later, because we know the scriptures that talk about being the Messiah, and we see them through the spectrum of history. They didn't know that. They didn't know the Messiah was coming as a man. They thought God was coming. The angel of the Lord that was going to redeem them or something like that. Here's Jesus, a human. He's got sisters. Women. <sighs> There's no way that the Messiah could have women's siblings. Nasty. He can't be the one. So when you go to minister with people, kind of like what Kay was just referencing, is that there has to be a childlike reception from that person and and if you, uh, if they don't just immediately receive that stuff, 
and you have to actually talk them through it, it might be days and weeks and months and hours. Look what Jesus did. There he could do no mighty work except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Verse 6, and he marveled. This is one of only two times that Jesus ever marveled. One time he marveled at faith, the centurion's faith, he marveled. And in this time he marveled at their unbelief. I pray to God that everybody in here makes Jesus marvel in a good way, not in the wrong way. He marveled because of their unbelief. So what did he do? He went about among the villages teaching. What do you do with unbelief? Teach. If somebody's got unbelief, what do you do? You teach. And you teach, and you teach, and you teach, and sometimes your church could be 11 and a half years old, and you're still teaching, and you're still teaching, and there's some people like, I don't know about that, but I'm getting closer to believing it. Well, you just hang in there, sister. We'll get you there. And there's no bad way to get healed. If it takes you 12 years to believe in healing, praise God. Victory for us. But some people can receive it in 12 seconds. Just like what Kay said. If, it, if they come in like a child and they come and say, hey, we believe in healing here. Really? Yeah, you think God heals? Well, I've seen tons of people healed. Thousands. At this point, I've seen thousands of people healed. You want to be healed? Well, yeah, if God still does that. I'll take some of that. Awesome. There you go. Wham! Standing right next to somebody. I've been in this church 37 years. I ain't never been healed. Yeah, you stuck up prude sucking on lemons. No wonder you ain't never been healed. It, it's not God's fault that one person came and said, healing, I'll take that. And another person said, healing, stupid Pentecostal church. God don't do that no more. Okay, well, he don't do it for you. And he just did it for this guy sitting right next to you. Yeah, he probably faked it. Okay. Whatever works for you, buddy. Whatever makes you feel better. You, you, we have to receive these things, and some, for some people, they can just say, okay, lay hands on me, sister. I'll take it. Here you go. And then some person, like, sit down. We got about an 80-hour conversation, and you're going to reject most of it. And I've had these conversations with people. And I find that they walk away, and I'm like, you're not going to be healed. I'm like, I'm not being mean to you. I'm not being ugly, but you've got way more reasons to be sick than you've got reasons to be healed. Now, you can apply this to anything. You've got way more reasons that your, your marriage is going to fail than you do for reasons that your marriage will be successful. You've got way more reasons why you're always going to be poor than you have reasons why God wants you to prosper. You have way more reasons why you're always going to be depressed instead of reasons that God wants you to operate in the joy and the peace of Him. What, wherever you believe on this, what, be, it, be it unto you according to your faith. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Uh, uh, one of the things I was thinking about uh, when you were sharing is how uh, we, we like to put what we think God wants in a box. <laughs> this person is sick. God must want me to heal them. Understand that I'm saying Jesus through me. Um, and how sometimes we, we limit what God wants to do in a person's life because we think, oh, this person must need or want this. Yeah. Instead of taking that moment to have that conversation with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I, 
this person that I'm that you've either the Holy Spirit highlights someone to you or you just see someone and you have that compassion for them and you want to minister to them but to open our hearts to whatever it is because we just maybe we think just because they're in a hospital oh we must it must be healing that you want me to minister to them but yet their heart is devastated because there's something going on in their family there's something going on with their children you know, there's something, you know, going on in their finances. There's, you know, yeah. there's other things going on in their lives, and we just kind of walk into something, kind of making this assumption that we know what needs to be ministered to their hearts and to their lives, instead of just approaching it as, as an open door. Anything. What do they need? What can I encourage? How can I show them your goodness? How can I, can I tell them how good you are? What can I speak to their hearts and to their lives that gonna, is going to encourage them today? And just approaching it in that way. Because a lot of times, you know, healing doesn't necessarily come, um, or healing can come through an emotional hurt being healed in someone's life. Yep. Uh, ministering forgiveness to someone yeah. can usher in a manifestation of a healing into someone's life. And so just always approaching it, keeping our hearts open to whatever the Father wants us to minister, and not just going into it thinking we know what that person's need because, either A, because we know, like I know their family, I know their background, I know their history, I know they're, they're dealing with this, so they must need ministry here. Or, you know, we're out and about and we see they're, you know, they're using a walker, oh, that must be what God wants me to minister to them. Not necessarily. And so just keeping that open heart um, when God shows us someone he wants us to minister to, that anything that the Holy Spirit wants to speak through us to them, that we are open to whatever it is, even though if we don't understand it, even though it doesn't make sense to us, is having that open heart and not making assumptions. Miss Nancy. Okay. Oh. You can hear me. Um, can you explain about the reasons and the effectiveness of silent prayer versus out loud prayer or commands? Um, I guess I'm asking more about communications with the spiritual world um, because one says, speak to the mountain, and as you've referenced, another verse says, as a man thinketh. Um, It also says that we fight not with flesh and blood, yet we're using our mouth to fight in the spiritual realm as well. So along those lines. Um, so first of all, prayer is communication with God. So I wanna, I wanna separate the difference between prayers versus like declarations or proclamations. And so if someone comes up to get healed, I'm not gonna pray for them. We don't. We don't pray for the sick. We heal the sick. That's what we've been commanded to do. And so to heal the sick, you're going to deal with the sickness and the disease. You're not going to deal with God. God's already expressed his will about sickness. He doesn't want it. And so I don't have to pray to God to get his will to communicate with God on what needs to happen if someone's sick. <clears throat> I, might, I need to listen to the Holy Spirit like Kay was saying because there might be some other things going on. And so I do need to listen to the Holy Spirit, but I don't need to necessarily pray to God over that situation. So I'm going to declare, I'm going to proclaim, and healing is going to manifest in that person. 
So <clears throat> the, of the two other types of prayer, you have, you have audible prayer, which tends to be public. The, in the scriptures, the people that were doing uh, audible praying were oftentimes doing public prayer, like Jesus in John chapter 17. He could have said all those things that he said in that prayer in his head. Why did he declare them? It specifically says in John 17, because his disciples were there. So he said them to God so that his disciples could hear them. <clears throat> so public praying or out loud praying is more important about some of the people that are around you. Whereas the rest of the time, just speaking to God silently inside your head, inside your heart, however you want to say that, is totally appropriate for intimacy. I only, if Ken and I are having an intimate conversation, I only need to say it loud enough for her to hear. Well, if God's on the inside of me, I just need to say it loud enough for him to hear. And so a lot of what you're talking about is just you personally communicating with God, and that is totally appropriate. Now, when it comes to declaring something outwardly, telling a mountain to move, you got to say that because that mountain's not going to hear your thoughts. You got to declare that. So the difference between the two is oftentimes what you're trying to accomplish. If I'm just trying to be intimate with God, I can totally do that on the inside quietly to myself. If I'm trying to publicly pray and get everybody in unity and get all their faith there, then I'm going to publicly pray and be out loud and get everybody so we're all in the same place. Okay, I agree exactly with what Pastor Steve just said right there. I'm going with him. But now if I'm just going to declare or proclaim something, that obviously has to be outward and it has to be physical and it has to be audible because I'm going to be directing it towards something else outside of me. Even in my own body, there's times that I'll be talking to myself, you know, body I command yep. this symptom, get out of my body. Why? Because it is something that is foreign to me. It's not supposed to be a part of me, so therefore it's foreign to me, so I need to talk to it as if it's something that's not part of me. But you just said it was in you, and so... It, you didn't... Right, so yeah, let me, me re-explain. So just because it's in my body doesn't mean that it belongs to me. My, I have, I, my phone is in my coat, but it's still not a part of me. It's connected to me, it's attached to me, but it's not part of me. So if I have a symptom in my body, that doesn't belong to me. That's from the enemy. It's not part of me, it's foreign to me, it's a trespasser, and so I'm going to declare it with my mouth to get out. Not everybody that's in your home, you want in your home. And so just because something is in your body or happening, in, even in your own soul, if you find yourself being depressed, I will not be depressed. I will operate in the joy of the Lord, I will operate in the peace of God, and I'll say that out loud. If I find myself sinking up, there's times that I think about the stinking government and I get all worked up. I am not going to get worked up. I'll say it out loud. Steve Castle, you're not going to get worked up over this government. One day, you're going to be in heaven. There's a king. There's not going to be any government. <clears throat> I'll say it out loud because I know those thoughts don't belong to me. Those are not mine. Those are not part of the divine nature. It's not part of who I am. So I'll say it out loud. Yeah, you covered what I was going to say. All right. Covered case stuff. Miss Allie? Um, I wrote this question a while back, and I think I have some better understanding and would like to hear 
your thoughts. So it's 1 Samuel 16, 14 talks about the spirit of the Lord leaving Saul and a spirit of distress from Yahweh coming upon him. Um, yet scripture also says that the Lord does not tempt. The Lord does, however, test. So do malignant spirits actually come on someone as a result of the Lord's judgment or as a consequence of sin? Uh, I didn't hear the question. Do malignant spirits actually come on someone as a result of the Lord's judgment or as a consequence of sin? Oh, boy. <laughs> Um, I can't, I can't unpack this uh, in any uh, simple way. The truth, the truth is, is that um, there are things that that God has messengers accomplish, be it spirits, angels, um, that are in accordance with what a person, the kind of judgments that that person has brought into their life, that's not necessarily what God wants to have happen. A good example of this is Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart. If you, if you go through the scriptures, you know, because somebody, in fact, I think Deb asked me about this. Said, I just read this verse that said that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Well, duh, no wonder he rejected the things of God if God hardened his heart. But there is... I think there's 13 times that it says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. The first six times, it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then the seventh time doesn't say how his heart, it just said Pharaoh had a hard heart. And then the last six times, it says, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So if you follow the delineation, Pharaoh hardened his heart, his heart got hardened, and then God held him accountable. Hey, nope, you hardened your heart. That's what you get. That is your judgment. And so there are times in our lives, just like in, uh, in 1 Kings chapter, I think it's chapter 23, where it says that, uh, that one of the kings was doing stupid stuff, and so the, there was a divine council meeting. God said, what are we going to do about this king doing his stuff? And then one of, the, one of the divine council members said, hey, I can go be a lion spirit in the mouth of his prophets, and he'll listen to me. And God said, all right. And people look at that story and you're like, dear Lord, God's going to use a lie? God didn't create the lie. God didn't tell the lie. God is allowing the brokenness of that person to be part of his destruction. That is totally appropriate for God to do. If you want to set yourself in the crosshairs of the enemy destroying your life, God will hold you accountable for doing that. And I, I know that's not, this is not the funnest conversation that anybody's ever going to have about the doctrines of God. But there are times that you, that a person can put themselves, that they have done exactly what needs to happen in order for them to have certain judgments brought into their life. And God will hold them accountable for that judgment. He is just. You do terrible things to people on this planet. And God will still love you, but you're going to reap consequences. Be not deceived. God's not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And he that sows to the Spirit shall the Spirit reap corruption. And he that sows to the flesh shall the flesh uh, reap, reap corruption. Spirit reap life everlasting from the, from the flesh. Reap. It's not, you're not reaping it from God. He shall of the flesh reap 
corruption. So that would be the same thing as saying that uh, God wants me dead because he created a bush that grows poison berries. No, the bush that grows poison berries, God, that just was part of the natural process of things. You go and eat the poison berries, you killed you. Don't blame God. You're not on your deathbed, God killed me with poison berries. No, you ate the berries. It's not God's fault. This is the same situation here that <clears throat> there, uh, Samuel, uh, Saul, there was, a, there was a ton of bad stuff going on in Saul's life, and, and Saul attracted, and I could get into a ton of different messages here about things that you can do in your life to attract or repel good or evil spiritual influence. And I'm not going to go there right now, but Saul was doing things that was attracting other spiritual entities, spirits, Elohim is what the word is in the Hebrew, that he was doing things that were attracting Elohim. And God held him accountable for having these Elohim attracted. And God is totally just in that. If, if, I, um, if I lie to Kay and she gets mad at me, I don't get to say, whoa, 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 you don't get to get mad at me. You have to be super duper Christian and you just need to forgive me and be, and I can lie and cheat and steal and go commit adultery and you don't have any right to get back. No, she's got every right. We have a covenant. We have a covenant. And if I break the covenant, she is not wrong by saying, you broke the covenant. There are terrible consequences in your life. Same thing here. Even though God is going to use spiritual forces and use other entities and use angels and use other things. That doesn't mean that God initiated that process or that God desired for those processes to take place. And there's a huge conversation that I'm not having with all that, so I hope I didn't create more confusion than I answered questions. But the simplicity of it is, if you stay in agreement and alignment with God, then you are sheltered from, protected from evil spiritual entities that are going to come and do terrible things in your life. Psalm 91, just so you guys know, it's like favorite, like, Psalm 91, there are two direct references to demon gods in Psalm 91 that God specifically tells people how to keep themselves safe from. If you sheltered yourself under the under the wings of God, if you keep yourself in the secret place with God, you are untouchable by enemy spiritual forces. Untouchable. But if you go outside of the umbrella, if God was... Ho All right, I guess we're done. <laughs> it's like God has an umbrella for his people. A shield. God's a warrior. So God has a shield. As long as I stay behind God's shield, there's nothing the enemy can do to me. What can the enemy do to penetrate God's shield? Now, if I stand outside the shield and say, na 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 boo boo Satan, ha ha ha, and then I catch an arrow in the rear end, I don't get to turn to God and say, God, why didn't you stop the arrow? I had a shield right here, and you were stupid. Anybody raise children? <laughs> How many times do you tell your kids, don't do that. If you do that, it's going to hurt. Oh, mom, it hurt. I just told you. 
Don't you know God in heaven does this a lot? I literally just said that like 40 times in the Bible. Well, he didn't read it. You should read it. <laughs> when, we, when we do that, we attract spiritual forces that are outside of God. Oh, I was going to let you cover that one. <laughs> she, she defaults the deep doctrinal theological things to me. And there, I really do. There's a whole nother context there that get into Elohim and elementary, elementary spiritual forces and all kinds of other stuff. Almost got Andrew sticking out of my boots. My Andy boots on. All right, so I'm going to bless you if you guys would please rise. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.